This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play. The effort was there. That's first and foremost with this team. When we have to compete, you know, usually things fall into line after that. Execution is a big one, too, that we've been talking about. So we didn't spend much time in our own end. I mean, that's that's a great recipe, especially against a good hockey team. When you can get out of the zone and dictate the play in the neutral zone and the offensive zone, I think you know, it was halfway through the second period, they had five or six shots on net. So it, it was definitely one of our most complete games in, in a while here. All right, all right. Big win last night for the Tampa Bay Lightning. You heard Steven Stamkos coming in. The Lightning win 4-3. Of course, Stammer with the game winner in OT. The Lightning have won three in a row, and we're going to talk about it for the next hour or so. I am Greg Linelli, along with the radio voice of the Lightning, Dave Mishkin. Steve Erstick is our producer. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. How impressive of a win was that last night? for the Lightning and any other questions or reaction you had regarding that game we will read those on the air but let me bring in my partner for this show and uh, Mish I I thought all in all we'll get into uh, the nitty-gritty of that game last night but I I thought that was a a pretty good game a pretty good effort by the Tampa Bay Lightning against a really good opponent limited their scoring chances it's rare that you could say even in a win, maybe the opposing goaltender was a bit more impressive than Andre Vasilevsky, but I think that's how good Ronta played that whole night for Carolina. But Vasi was solid in nets, and again, the power play continues to give the Lightning some momentum here and win them games recently, which is a, a great sign. But uh, first game back from a, a pretty long road trip, I, I think all things considered, you'll take that effort every single time, won't you? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to go back back to what we talked about at the end of yesterday's show and kind of teeing up what we might be talking about today after the game. And what I said was, I hope we come into today talking about how the Lightning dealt with the Carolina forecheck. So they did that. And actually, let me back up because before we get into the specifics of last night's game, some general trend lines for these three wins... The Lightning have now put together three wins in a row. They've defended well and limited chances in all three games. They've won the special teams battle in all three games. They've scored six power play goals in the last three and allowed none. And their top guys are getting going offensively. Now, if your power play is going, you figure your top guys are going to be getting points. And that definitely was the case. But if you look at where... The offense came from last night. You know, Hedman and Kalorn now have scored goals in back-to-back games. Stamp goes three points. Kucherov, three points. Point, two points. Sorelli, two points. That's how the Lightning are doing it, kind of generally over these three games. But Carolina is a way different opponent than Detroit or the Islanders in that their forecheck is so aggressive and so overwhelming at times that we have seen it as recently as a week ago in Raleigh. When Carolina gets going on its forecheck, you struggle just to get pucks out. And if you don't get a puck out on the first try, then it can turn into a 60-second shift in your own end where you're chasing. That, like, is a power pellet for them in Pac-Man, right? Like, they get super strength from that, and that's how they want to play. And the Lightning, with rare, rare exception last night, just didn't allow that to happen. They were so efficient at getting pucks out that 
I think that was as big a key as any in the game because it was Carolina. And as a matter of fact, like you talked about Ronta being maybe more impressive than Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky gave up three goals. They were all tremendous plays by Carolina. And they were chances. Niederreiter, top of the crease, one-timer in the net. And then the Jarvis and Ajo goals are on great tips. But I'm not sure if Carolina had a scoring chance outside of those three. I mean, maybe not a complete goose egg in terms of scoring chances the rest of the game. But the other chances, if they had any, they weren't nearly as dangerous. So basically what I'm saying is the Lightning didn't make many mistakes. Three mistakes they made. One was on rush coverage. The other two goals came after the Lightning had the puck and turned it over. Carolina made them pay. And credit the Hurricanes for making plays on those chances. But they were way, way few and far between. And that's how you need to play Carolina. Now, did the game the Hurricanes had on Monday in Washington with travel have an effect? It may have. Rod Brindamore even said, first shift of the game, I could tell we were gassed, which is maybe overstating it a little bit. I was going to bring up that quote. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, maybe to him they were gassed relative to the pace at which he wants them to play. I mean, they weren't like five steps behind the lightning. And actually, going back to what we were talking about, and it was actually me talking about it, I said, I'm not sure how structured the Hurricanes are as a team, and maybe they rely on their goalie more than some other teams that have a low goals against, like Carolina does. Carolina does it with puck possession, strong penalty killing, and goaltending. I actually thought they did defend really well through two periods. In the third period, the Lightning found some room. But I think you need to give credit for how the Hurricanes dug in. They were a tired team. It was a tough back-to-back. And they didn't give the Lightning much either. What the Lightning got, I think they earned, and they got more as the game progressed. They had more chances in the third than they probably had in the first and second combined. But the Lightning can't don't have to apologize for the fact that Carolina had a hard back-to-back. <laughs> you know, teams get back-to-backs. Some of them are tougher than others, and sometimes you get them, and sometimes your opponent has them. And the Lightning didn't let this opportunity slip away. And had the Lightning been sloppy with the puck, Carolina would have made them pay more than Carolina did. So let's not take anything away from what the Lightning accomplished last night. This is a really good team. Even if they didn't have the gas tank at full, they were still a formidable opponent. And the Lightning did what they needed to do in terms of managing the puck and not letting that Carolina forecheck get going. They kept that thing at bay all night long. And then Carolina's penalty kill, which is tops in the league and super aggressive, the Lightning broke that thing down three times and scored three goals. Huge. And how did they do it? Really on all three? Quick slash good puck movement. And if you have an aggressive kill and you can move the puck quickly and get them into an outnumbered situation... Now you've got a huge advantage. And on all three of those goals, the Lightning were able to move the puck in a way that they had. I mean, you do have an outnumbered situation, Greg, because it's a 
five on four, but you know what I'm talking about. In a in a dangerous area, you have an outnumbered situation. And the Lightning were able to kind of exploit that on all three of their goals. And they did something no other team has done against Carolina this entire season. Scored three power play goals in a game against the Hurricanes. The Lightning did that last night. Well, how about Carolina when they score first, Dave? 33-3-5. Yeah, well, I think I they mean, score that's... first a lot, too, because they're a yeah, really good I team. Yeah, I mean, but it just, it's, it just speaks to... I don't want to say the uphill battle the Lightning had because I think you could say the same thing for Carolina. They had a really tough road trip going from Washington to Tampa Bay. And if if Rod Brindamore has a pretty good pulse of where his team was, and I, I think he would, that they maybe didn't have their legs, the fact that they were able to get up one nothing probably should have energized them a bit more. But mm-hmm. And they had a lead really... going into the third, too. Yeah, I mean, I mean I, it was 3-2 I... going into the third. You know, look, every, everybody has to deal with certain circumstances, and, you know, there are no excuses there. But I, I thought I thought the Lightning's game and then Sorelli in the faceoff circle was really good. There was a stretch there in the second period. I think, Dave, you might have made the comments. It was like midway through the second. Maybe the really only lull Tampa Bay had where they looked a little out of place. Uh, they were hesitating with the puck a bit, and they were kind of fighting the puck, and it, it was noticeable. But... Still, they scored a couple of goals in that second period, too. One was on the power play. The other one was Victor Hedman from Sorelli. Mm-hmm. Hedman now has 19 on the year. And then, of course, we saw Point, who it didn't look like was going to come back uh, for that third yeah. period. There was some talk. Uh, I know Thank Ed goodness he did, right? <laughs> I know. Ed had the tweet that he he had like hobbled off after his last shift late in the second period. And I didn't see anybody else report that. And uh, to Ed's credit, I think he got that right. Yeah, because we didn't uh, see him come down the tunnel to the start of the third, but the first time his line went out there in the third, he was out there. Which was great to see. And, you know, again, it seems simplistic, and maybe at times it is when you're evaluating a game like this, but I don't think it's a surprise. You know, you want to beat the Carolina Hurricanes, a really good team. You need some things to go your way. One of them, I think, have your star players be pretty good. And if you just look at the Lightning's last three goals in that game, Hedman, Points, and Stamkos all factored in mm-hmm. one way or the other, which was great to see. So uh, I, I think if you're a Lightning fan, you've got to feel pretty good about what you saw last night. Yeah, and, and the other thing I'll say, and like how much of a a penalty, and it's interesting I'm using that word because I'm going to talk about the penalties, but how much of a penalty are we kind of like weighing down Carolina with based on the circumstances? And I can't answer that question. We've seen the Hurricanes look more dangerous, but I also think the Lightning didn't give the Hurricanes an opportunity to be dangerous as much. So, like I often say, you know, it's it's the laboratory, and what you have in a game is two teams making a contribution into that into that vial or or beaker, whatever you want to call it, and then you know your combination is the game. So maybe Carolina wasn't quite at the pace that Brindamore wants his team to be at, but the Lightning also didn't allow Carolina to capitalize on potential turnovers in the defensive zone because they executed quite well. In that one area specifically, which I think is when you face Carolina, that is such a key part. You have a chance to get the puck out. It has to get out the first time. 
Fight the battle in the neutral zone. Get it back to their end. Make them come down the ice. And the two times that I can remember that the Lightning had a chance to clear it and didn't, I mean, it happened more than twice, but two of them proved to be costly because Carolina scored shortly thereafter. So understanding that, that the teams may have been not been on equal footing in terms of where their schedule had been, of course, we can make the argument too, first home game back after a long road trip, and the Lightning looked just fine, right, after they this did. long stretch, be that as it may. This game had the feel of a playoff game. So I say that because it was tight checking and both teams defended hard and limited chances. Carolina did two, I think, up until the third period. In the third period, things opened up more for the Lightning, especially after points power play goal. But part of that, one reason why it felt like a playoff game, the officials refereed this game like a playoff game. There were so that's not a good six, thing then. <laughs> well, I mean, it is what it is. So what I'm going to yeah. say is, look, there were six power plays given out. Lightning got four. Carolina got two. There could have been 10 on each team. Each team could have been shorthanded 10 times, at least, based on how much obstruction was happening out on the ice. But here's the thing, Greg. Both teams had penalties that weren't called on them. Trocek was was livid after the game. And I've watched the replay several times. I'm not quite sure exactly where he's feeling that a penalty was missed. I mean, the puck was along the near board, so both from the press box view that we had watching it live and on the replay, because we didn't see a, a shot from the other side of the ice, he's chasing point as the puck is coming back toward the blue line. And point falls down, but Trocek also falls down. But... But Trocek is chasing point. So if anything, it looks like point fell down and caused Trocek to fall down or Trocek fell down and caused point to fall down. Like Trocek was like, I was held, I was held. I'm like, how did Braden Point hold Trocek if point has the puck and Trocek's behind him? And both guys fell down and then point got the puck to Sorelli who heads back in the other direction and it becomes a three on two. That's one play. I'm I'm seeing a little stuff on on Twitter because I saw an article that talked about how many times Carolina and Colorado have been shorthanded this year, and both teams are excellent teams. Carolina leads the league in time shorthanded, and the article, which is a TSN article, is kind of speculating, like, why is this? And there was a Carolina fan that was bellyaching about the call on Jordan Stahl in overtime, and look, did they let plays like that go earlier in the game? And, of course, the fan felt that the Lightning were the team that got away with holds that weren't called. I'm like, I'm sorry. Both teams got away with holds that weren't called. But in overtime, if Jordan Stahl grabs a hold of Stamkos, steals the puck, and has a clear lane to the net, that's probably one that is going to be called. So maybe that one was at a different standard than some holds that happened earlier that weren't called. But given what happened... Like, what is what is the hold doing? How much of an advantage is it giving a team when you commit that penalty? And I think the officials correctly felt that we're not going to give Jordan Stahl an open look after he committed a hold and stole the puck on Stamkos. So that was a penalty. I felt the other penalties were, in fact, penalties. I think what stood out, though, about the game was that there were a lot of potential penalties that were not called. And it went both ways. Capital B... 
capital W. So I don't know if any Carolina fans are bellyaching about how the refereeing was lopsided. When the Lightning had their first period power play, they could have had multiple five-on-threes because there were a couple of penalties that the Canes committed while shorthanded that were not called. But then later, the Lightning also committed an infraction that was not called when Carolina had a power play. So that's the way the game was called, and that's probably, I know you don't like it, Greg, what we are going to see in the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I didn't I didn't understand the issue there uh, late. With Trocek, you the, mean? Yeah, because I felt like he was able to get back into the play. You know what I mean? He like, was, I, yeah, he was, he was like it was a three-on-two. It was a three-on-two, but like where is yeah. <laughs> where is this penalty that he is complaining about? Yeah, probably just frustration. Yeah, maybe. That would just be my... He also lost the face-off to Sorelli, yeah. which... Well, who didn't last night? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, what, 85%? He finished 11-2 and two in the circle, Sorelli. You know, I think that's an interesting question because Sorelli, by his accounts, you guys interviewed him after the game. I mean, he, he hasn't had maybe his best year in the face-off circle, but as Phil said, you think that's just one of those situations for centermen outside of the really elite ones like a Bergeron or, you know, somebody else that... Some years are just better than others. You know, I, I, I just I, I wonder how you can go from being real solid to then somebody who's under 50 percent just like that. And I, I don't know if it's anything he's doing incorrectly. You know, a lot of times we talk about the line mates jumping mm-hmm. in and, and winning those 50 50 battles like we would probably have to do a deep dive or ask one of the coaches about the face offs in general. But I, I mean, I don't to me, that's like that was an astounding number last night. And, you know, was yeah. that because he was just more in rhythm? Was it was it a combination of he was getting some help from his teammates? Like, what what did he do differently last night compared to, you know, some other nights where he struggled? Well, maybe you do get in a groove. I mean, he did say he's been working on it. He's had a tough year. Tough year relative to the other centermen, but also relative to where he has been in years past. And I think one big part of why the Lightning are killing penalties better yeah. In these last few games. And what is it now? They went five for five against Boston, five for five against Detroit, three for three against the Islanders, and two for two last night. That's 15 straight kills. They've done a pretty good job winning faceoffs. Now, it doesn't always mean that you're going to like get through a penalty kill with no pressure. <laughs> but if you win the draw and can get it down the ice, that certainly helps. And one reason why the Lightning at times have struggled on penalty kill is that their centermen have not won faceoffs, and Sorelli yeah. has been part of that. So the fact that he is he is doing, I think he's doing better on penalty kill faceoff situations, but he's also like last night he had a great night in in all situations. Most of the draws that he took, I'm actually looking at the faceoff summary right now. Most of the draws that he took. We're actually in the offensive zone. It just turned out that way. But the other part of it, and this is not a knock on Sorelli, this is just how it unfolded and where the Lightning were looking to match. The hottest Carolina guy in the circle, Jordan Stahl, Sorelli only took one faceoff against Stahl. Now, he did win it, but Stahl went 12-6. and six. Yeah. I think he was even stronger than that after two periods. So it just so happened that, like, the hottest guy in Carolina in the circle last night, Sorelli didn't really see him very much. He saw the other face-off guys, but he can't control that. Like, he's being sent out when the coach is sending him out, and he won the draws that he was asked to win, including a really important one to start that power play in overtime. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Matt says uh, Tampa Bay reminded Carolina why they're still the back-to-back -back champs with a statement win Tuesday night. And he said the team's power play really stepped up in that game. Yeah, that, that would be true. You know, we I don't, don't know if... Yeah, so we don't know if these teams are going to be in the playoffs again. They're not in the same division. So, and I will say it's the Lightning because Carolina's not going to fall into the wild card. But the Lightning could theoretically fall into the wild card because Toronto and Boston and the Lightning are bunched up. And if they fell into the wild card, they could see Carolina in the first round, assuming Carolina wins its division. If not, then if they were to meet in the playoffs, it would mean that both teams won two rounds and they would meet in the conference final. So we don't know if they are going to meet. I think a lot would have to happen between now and a potential playoff matchup for that to occur, even if they were to meet in the first round. We don't know if the Lightning are going to finish in the wild card and they have to finish in the the wild card that would get matched up with Carolina. Carolina may have the top seed. Carolina may finish behind if it's Florida winning the Atlantic. Like that still needs to be determined. But I will say this. If the Lightning see Carolina in a playoff series, a huge, huge key will be the same thing I just talked about. How are the Lightning defending to limit chances and what are they doing with their puck play? Because Carolina is not going to be playing the second half of a back-to-back -back traveling through the night in a playoff series. They are going to be charged and raring to go. And you have to find a way to neutralize what they want to do to you to make you spend 75-80% of the game without the puck. You have to have an answer for that. And that also bleeds into what you're doing on the power play. What are you doing with the puck? Because if you move it quickly and accurately, you can break them down. We saw that in the playoffs last year. Yeah. And I'm thinking specifically of game four. The Lightning scorched Carolina on the power play in that one game, which was a 4-2 Carolina lead. And the Lightning rallied and won it 6-4. There was an empty netter in there. No, no. Kucherov scored early in the third to make it 6-4. But the Lightning got back in the game because of their power play. That was the game where Carolina wins that game. It's 2-2. And their penalty kill had been good last year, too. And their PK let them down because the Lightning broke them down. Will that happen again in a playoff series? I don't know. But if the Lightning could do it, it would really help them try and beat this team. This is a really good team. Really good team. And they didn't have their best game last night. But the Do Lightning you... shouldn't have to apologize for that. All I'm saying is if they were to meet in the playoffs, what the Lightning did to great effect last night is what they're going to have to try and do if they meet in a playoff series. Is there Because they faced them both last year, as we know. Florida, Carolina. Does one give you more pause than the other in how they play? I know they're different a little bit. You know, yeah, they're different a little bit. I think, I think Carolina... I don't want to say they forecheck recklessly because they don't forecheck recklessly. They definitely forecheck, I think, more than Florida. And I kind of feel that Florida comes at you in waves more through the neutral zone up ice. But both teams are really tough to deal with in terms of how you need to defend. I actually asked Mike Maniscalco before the game. He does he does the play-by-play -play for Carolina, and they have a simulcast. So he was doing radio last night because the game was on. 
ESPN Plus. And I asked him, because remember we were talking about Carolina's remaining schedule. They are mostly seeing non-playoff teams from here on out. Meaning that of the seven teams they could be seeing in the East as an opponent, they've basically played all of those teams already. They've, they've wrapped up their season series with most of these teams. So I asked Mike, I said, I'm just curious, like, are there any teams of the seven that you feel have given Carolina the most trouble? And the two teams he mentioned were Florida and Washington. He said Washington plays a heavy game that gives the Carolina Hurricanes trouble sometimes. It's interesting that he said that because, remember, in 2019, Carolina beat Washington in the playoff series. And, of course, they were coming off the win on Monday against Washington 6-1. And what he said was he felt that was a really important game because it kind of they laid down the gauntlet in a way as if to say, all right, if we see you guys in the playoffs, this is what you can expect. But interestingly, he said that before that 6-1 game, Washington kind of had their number on the power play. As good as Carolina's penalty kill is, the Capitals were one of the teams that had had success against the Hurricanes when Washington was on the power play, which, look, they have Ovechkin, right? Like, they have a really good power play. But the other team you mentioned was Florida because of how dangerous Florida is offensively. So that's the perspective from the Carolina side. You asked me the question about, you know, is one team a more challenging opponent? I think they're all challenging, Greg. I really do. I think there are some questions about how Florida defends as a team more than Carolina, though. And the proof is in yeah. where their numbers are at. Nick says that's a statement victory for the Lightning. Played an exceptional third period, and the power play came to life. 11 career overtime goals for Stamkos, most in franchise history. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a milestone goal for a number of reasons. First of all, it was that overtime goal record, which point moved one behind him when he scored in overtime in Detroit, but also Stammer scored his 30th goal. Yep. With that he's overtime a, winner. He's had a phenomenal year. There's just no mm-hmm. no doubt about that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, positivity all the way through. We'll take a break. We'll come back, take more of your questions. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. He's Dave Mishkin. I am Greg Linelli. Back after this on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, we are back here on Lightning Power Play. The show is Power Lunch. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. We've been recapping Lightning's fourth three overtime win over the Canes last night at Amelie Arena. If you want to weigh in on it, you certainly can. The big guns had big nights for the Lightning and... You know, who knows what's going to happen here in the Atlantic division. Uh, we talked about this before with Carolina and the Metro. Mm-hmm. I think they they look to be in some pretty good shape here, partner, to, to be in first place and to yeah. take that. Although And that you know, and that closing schedule, I mean, look, could they lose to Anaheim? Could they lose to Detroit? Sure. Could they lose to Buffalo? But... Carolina has the thing set up pretty nicely for them to finish in first. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And you take a look at Florida. 
Six points ahead of Tampa Bay now in the Atlantic. Both teams have played 66 games. Actually, Toronto has played 66 as well. They've got 89 points. And uh, Boston at 87 points through 66. So, I mean, it's still tight in the Atlantic division, but more so, I think, probably with the second and third place teams and that first wild card more than anything. I feel like Florida and Carolina, you know, unless something drastic happens, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they're the number one seed. And I think it's just going to be a matter mm-hmm. of, of matchups and where where teams are. Uh, Florida had a nice win against Montreal, 7-4. to four. We'll see Montreal coming up over the weekend, right? And Marty yeah. will be here. They're and, playing uh, hard. I mean, they aren't winning yeah. necessarily as much as they want to. But I think their fans are happy that they're seeing a team that's really competing hard. Some life. Yeah, you know, which you would like, expect Yeah, with Marty St. Louis as the head coach. That's always tricky, though, too, because in some ways, how do you evaluate a head coach in that particular instance? I mean, you're really not expected to win. Uh, playing hard should be a given for any team professionally or really, mm-hmm. really anywhere. But uh, if that was the problem, Marty's gotten them to play hard. But then once everything is equal heading into next year, assuming he's the head coach, is that when you can really – get a pretty good gauge of what he's like as a head coach compared to just coming in now where, you know, there's not a lot at stake, even though it's Montreal. I mean, there's always pressure to win, but not really at this point. And, you know, how do you evaluate that? Yeah, well, you can't get a full evaluation, but you can get a partial evaluation. I think one thing is clear. Having Marty St. Louis behind the bench has really helped Cole Caulfield. I mean, he's at like, what, 14, 15 goals now this year. What was he at when Marty took over? One, two? That's incredible when you think about it. Really He's got that swagger that. back to his game. And look, not every high-skill player can become a head coach and help other high-skill players, but I think it's clear Marty St. Louis, as a high-skill player, understands what Caulfield needed to get his game back on track from where he was in the playoffs last year. Isn't that always interesting? Because it is pretty true, just based off of the evidence that we've seen, that the typically, you know, Hall of Fame players, one, don't want to be behind the bench, and two, when they are, it, it typically doesn't turn out the way they envisioned. And I don't know if there's just a disconnect with their skill sets and then trying to manage you know, 23 other players mm-hmm. who aren't as highly skilled as they were. I mean, we saw yeah, maybe, Gretzky. Maybe they're well-suited as a skills coach. Like, Adam Oates has done that. He's also been a head coach. Yeah, that's a good point. But I know there were some players that actually almost contracted out Adam Oates yeah. for, for skill work, but it is different when you're overseeing an entire team. Yeah. It's amazing when you think about that, but let's hope Marty, for his sake, uh, gets it done. We've got a few questions starting to trickle in at Bolts Radio. If you want to weigh in, you can. More of an observation from Al. He says, I think Kalorn has been the Lightning's most steadfast player this year. Well, he's having a career year in points, now 51, and he has a shot to eclipse his goal total high. He's at 21. His high had been 26. But I think what Al is talking about is his play beyond the points. He has found a level of consistency to his He really game. has. 
Yeah, I mean he's he, power play. I mean he does. He do, He's made himself a complete player, mm-hmm. and it's been fun to watch. What's interesting, I think with the new guys, they've backed off his penalty killing a little bit. A little bit. I mean, he's still killing some penalties, but Kalorn had 20 seconds of shorthanded time last night. Yeah. Now, they only had two penalties to kill. But even still, I think before Hagel and Paul arrived, if there were two penalties to kill, and the Lightning killed both in their entirety, so it's four minutes total, I think that he would have been at a higher number than 20 seconds. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's fair. He, uh, The thing about him is he's he's got a nice mix of some size and speed, and so you can put him in different situations where it feels like he adapts pretty well. I mean, he's skilled mm-hmm. enough where he can play in the top six. I think he's big enough and fast enough. He can he can check and kill penalties, as you just alluded to, Dave. I mean, he is he is one of those guys. It's going to be interesting when his time comes to talk about where he's going to end up for the rest of his career. That will be a very interesting decision, I think, for the Lightning because he is he's gotten better as he's gotten older. And Dave, that doesn't necessarily always happen with guys who've been in the league for as long as Kalorn has been in. Yeah, you know. So. Well, his skating was it Brian Ingbaum who was talking about his skating. His skating, I think he's always been a strong skater. He's a powerful player, so when he gets that motor going, I mean, it's not quite like Tom Wilson bearing down on you right, with the locomotive train right, right. coming down the tracks. But Kalorn can can really deliver some powerful checks in the forecheck. And very strong in the puck. He's always been that. But I think he has a little bit more quickness to his game, I would say, in the last couple of years that's really helped him, too. I mean, he scooted down the ice on that two-on-one goal he scored against the Islanders with Sorelli. Yeah, you don't you don't think of him as being fast. But he he always seems to be in that right position more times than not. And uh, you remember the knock on him was always he'd get knock off his skates a lot, but I, I feel like he's been he's been pretty good. Yeah. Uh as a guy that's the that's pretty sturdy. So, yeah, good good observation, Al. Can't can't disagree there. Uh Steven says lighting with a solid win last night, losing almost to start the game, never hold the lead and never waver, come back from one nothing to one three two and get the win in OT. Power play has a three-goal night. New top line flowed. Even Cooch found some rhythm. This team earned it tonight. Well, Cooch, I think Phil yeah, mentioned Yeah, Phil it commented you. about that. He said, I hate to bring it up because I don't want to jinx it or something like that. But he's like, it looks like Kucherov is, is starting to find his game, in Phil's opinion. I mean, what do you think? I, I, he was pretty I dynamic like last better. night. Yeah, I feel like he's been better for sure. Yeah. I mean, and guys go through periods where they're not as dominant we're again we're not used to seeing the lightning go through funks like this i don't yeah and his frustration level had been high i mean you could see it he took a bad penalty last night i mean we should mention that that. was a real bad he and aho have definitely been going at one another going back to that (laughs) game last week in raleigh yeah they've got a little thing going don't they yeah i think aho has gotten under kucherov's skin more than the other way around I think Kucherov has gotten under Aho's skin a little bit. I think Aho has gotten under Kucherov's skin more than a little bit. 
and hopefully last night's game kind of settled him down a bit. Yeah, no, I... With the three assists. Ajo can be that type of player. You can see where he would annoy you a little bit. I mean, first off, he's just a really good player, and I think he's always in your face, and... Mm -hmm. Cooch felt that Ajo sold the penalty at the end of the game in Carolina. Yeah. And I think that it started from there. Did he say number one BS? Maybe in Russian he did. (laughs) Uh, This comes from... This is a good one. Nope of Hillsborough. <laughs> I guess. What a great overtime win last night at Amelie. Feels so good to have them back after such a long road trip. A strong statement was made with this important win. Yeah, I you know, the the strong statement, I don't know I don't know how yeah. to to take that. I mean, that are we saying I mean, that Carolina received a statement? Like I was just saying Carolina kind of laid down the gauntlet on Washington. I think that was a statement win. You go into Washington and maybe yeah. you're like they kind of had our, not our number, but we haven't played as well. And you hammer them. That's a statement win. Yeah. This one, eh, I don't know. I don't know that I totally buy into that Listen, narrative. Now, if you're going to say of- that it helped the Lightning kind of get their game continuing to trend in the right direction, yes. Three in a row now, they've kind of put all of these elements together that we talked about at the start of the show. Look, winning solves a lot of things, and even when you're not playing particularly well, if you're able to find some wins, I think that can help you get to where you want to game-wise in mm-hmm. a season. And I think the Lightning are starting to see that. I mean, it, it's okay not to play perfect hockey or best hockey and still win games in the NHL. I think we understand that. What we've seen from the Lightning over the last two years is when the playoffs have begun, for the most part, Dave, they have played their best hockey, particularly games where they've clinched a series. So I think as long as the Lightning are trending in a in a pretty positive direction, I mean, look, it's been well documented the last couple of years. The Lightning haven't necessarily finished the regular season on fire. Yeah. But I, I don't think they were completely off. Well, either. last year, the pandemic you know? year, nobody yes. knew the season was going to be ending. Regular season when it did. This comes from Stan. He said, guys, I thought the Paul line looked good early on. What are your thoughts about their performance last night. Still a work in progress. I mean, they did take a minus two, and they were out there for the goals that happened when the Lightning had D-zone turnovers. So the point line was out there on the rush coverage goal. That was the play where Brady Shea just smushed Plot against the boards. And that was one he didn't let him up. I mean, it was a... yeah. Kind of knocked him down, and then... I mean, he had the puck, and and based on what they let go, I mean, they weren't going to call a penalty there. Great play by Jarvis, though. He's a good young player for Carolina. You know, of the Carolina players last night, other than Ronta, Jarvis might have been their best player. He was good. Had a goal, and he had an assist. Yeah. He had some jump to his game. Of course, he's 20 or whatever Brindamore would say. He can handle the the back-to-back, right? (laughs) But... The Paul line on the first goal, which was actually Carolina's first shot on net in the game, almost eight minutes in, they had the puck, they had a chance to clear and didn't. And then there was a breakdown in front. On the goal that Ajo scored, that started, I'm not mentioning these guys to pick on them. I'm just telling you what happened. So we're trying to give you a a clear idea of where this line is at. So... 
the goal that Ajo scored came after Carolina had a faceoff in the offensive zone and won it. But in between them winning that faceoff and the goal being scored, Sergachev actually had the puck on his stick and tried to put it up the boards, and the D-man pinched. Might have been Slavin and got in the way, and, and Carolina was able to hold it in and then and then scored. But before the faceoff, the Lightning had probably an even cleaner opportunity to get it out, and Hagel didn't. And as a result, there was a shot that Vasilevsky stopped and covered, so then there was a faceoff. So again, that line had been out there, and basically it wasn't it wasn't the forwards the second time. It was Sergachev, but... The forwards had an opportunity, specifically Hagel, on the 3-2 goal, to get the puck out, didn't. Now there's a face-off on your own end. You lose the draw. Now you're scrambling. You have another chance with the puck on your stick to get it out. You don't puck in your net. So they're going to have to own that minus two. But to the fans' point, I think there were some other shifts when they did do good work in the offensive zone. And I think what this line is going to try to evolve into is a little bit of what we see from Belmar, Perry, and Maroon when that line is going well, which is a grinded-out cycling line in the offensive zone. Win puck battles, maintain possession, work the puck below the circles, and we've started to see that a little bit from those guys. But I would still say work in progress. Paul says, I love this quote from Coop last night. Quote, I love when we score in overtime. That's the thunder. You can really hear it. It just feels like we haven't played here in forever. We have a good vibe here. It's good to be home and to hear our fans. End quote. Yeah, and they're going to get a lot of home games here coming up in the next month. Look, they had to take their medicine on the schedule. And was the Islanders guys were asking me when when we saw them on Sunday before the game and they're like did you guys have games rescheduled for this 10 out of 11 on the road I'm like nope that was the original schedule yeah which Lightning fans know so that was put in place back during the offseason so when the schedule came out the Lightning understood that this was going to be their toughest stretch during the season in terms of like travel frequency of games, I mean, Coop wasn't crazy about the three games they had during what had been the Olympic break. We didn't know about that at the time. But now they get to reap the benefits from doing all of that heavy lifting on the road with what we would call a favorable schedule in terms of travel and the home road breakdown down the stretch. Brian says, guys, it feels like Hedman is shooting the puck more this year than in previous years. Do you agree? And does Hedman have the best lap shot on the team? I think he was asked about his shot. He said it's gotten harder from last year. He's also finding areas to shoot at that are not like right at the goalie. I mean, he is putting pucks in areas. I wouldn't say they're like picking corners. But they're definitely not in the middle of the net. Like, they are going to an area where the goalie is going to have to make a pretty tough save if he's going to stop the shot. And maybe that comes with confidence. We would have to go back and look and see what his shot total was last year in what was all 
albeit and admittedly a shorter season, so 56 games. Yeah, 136 shots. The previous year, he played 66 games, 155. The most shots he's had in a year was back in 2017, 2018, Dave. He had 216. And yeah, that was his year, previous – that was his Norris Trophy year in the year that he scored 17 goals, which he has since eclipsed. Let's not forget last year, too. You know, he played down the stretch in the regular season and in the playoffs with an injury, yeah. which may have affected whether it was his ability to shoot the puck with the same velocity. I mean, who knows? But – He's definitely feeling good right now and feeling confident in his shot. It does feel like when he's hammering the puck, it is just there is just a ton of velocity coming off mm-hmm. the stick. And you're right. I think he is picking some spots. And he I almost mean, had another a, goal a shot. in the third period when Palat won a, won a skate race to the puck. I think the defenseman was Brady Shea, if I'm remembering right. But they they were kind of scrambling to try and get the puck. And Pilat ended up winning it, took it behind the net, and Hedman skated right to the like top of the crease and put a shot off the crossbar. They should give Ronta a save on that in the play-by-play. When I saw the replay, I thought it went straight off the crossbar. But be that as it may, that was really close to making it 4-3, which the Lightning had several close calls after it was 3-3 to go up 4-3. That was one of them. But again, Hedy could have had a second goal. He had seven shots last night. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was... Look, especially on that power play, partner, I think we've talked about it now, the way the boards are and how lively they are. It feels like in every arena. I know it's tough to get shots through, but even a big shot like Hedman's, I mean, that puck comes off the boards. His teammates are there for a prime scoring chance. Mm-hmm. I mean, that thing just moves wildly around. I mean, it's... It's one of those things where you almost say to yourself, is that the best option for the Lightning's power play? Is just, you know, we're so used to seeing Kucherov over to Stammer or Hedman to Stammer for that one timer. But, you know, if teams are going to try and maybe take away those two options, you know, by default, that's not a terrible option either, having Victor Hedman bomb away, you know, with that slap shot. Well, and the other thing I've noticed, too, on two of these power play goals the Lightning have scored... Not the one that Stamco scored in overtime. On that one, he had a shot from the slot, and he looked to score there. And he did. I mean, he put it past the blocker of Ranta. But on the two power play goals that Braden Point has scored in overtime in Detroit and the one in the third period last night, those goals were rebound goals after Stamkos had taken a shot and... I mean, we haven't really had a chance to ask Stampkos this, but I'd be curious to know if this is the case. I almost feel like he's shooting not to pick a corner, but he on both those goals, he has shot the puck low to the far pad of the goalie, and it's led to a rebound right in front. Yeah. In Detroit, Point got positioned on Osterley. That was during the four-on-three, and the puck came right to him. The one last night... I mean, the Canes were kind of back around the net, but Stamp goes to shot, and it was a one-timer. So, I mean, we've seen him score from that spot. But if he's scoring from that spot, it's usually into the top part of the net, right? The danger with that is if you if you don't get it into the top part of the net and it misses the net, the puck could ricochet around the boards and, and come out. It works as a clear. 
So on the one last night and on the one in Detroit, the one last night was a one-timer. The one in Detroit, he he kind of skated with the puck and a stick more toward the middle and and shot it. But that one-timer last night was low. I wouldn't say it's to the far post, but it was it was to the left skate or pad of Ronta. So it wasn't on the short side. And if you shoot there, the likelihood of there being a rebound if the goalie stops it is way higher than if you shoot on the short side where the goalie might be able to smother it. Or if there is a rebound, maybe it's going to the corner. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But when it goes to the far side of the net, goalie has to stick his pad out. It's harder for the goalie to control it. And on both of those point was there to to finish up the rebound. So like we're talking about Hedman is shooting to score. Stamkos usually shoots to score. And he did in overtime. But on a couple of these, like if it goes in, he'll say great. <laughs> but that low shot has created a created a rebound chance that's led to a goal for point in two of the last three games. It's worked. Speaking of other defensemen, Sean says, guys, what was the story behind Tony D'Angelo being let go by the Lightning? It seems like he's turned himself into a pretty good defenseman in the NHL. Well, I think teams around the league always felt that D'Angelo had the potential to be a really good player on the ice. And in fact, even with the Rangers who walked away from him, he was a really effective player for them on the ice. D'Angelo's issues up until this point seemingly have always been off ice issues. And I don't know the full story of what happened with the Lightning, but I'd have to go back and look. I think he had one year in Syracuse, and then the Lightning moved on from him. Right. But Arizona moved on from him, too. And I don't even remember hearing this, Greg. I, I think he got into it with Georgiev maybe last year. There was some There was some altercation between D'Angelo and one of his teammates. And the Rangers basically said enough. But give him credit. I mean, we haven't heard boo about any issues in Carolina. And, and I wonder how many that he has is... been really effective on the ice yeah. for them. I mean, the play, the play he made, Aho's goal. I mean, that was a good play. I mean, he basically skated yeah. around the offensive zone and got free from Hagel a little bit, and uh, I think showed some of that that ability that you know a lot of people know is in him. I think it, it's probably twofold. One, he's 26 now. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the realization that, look, I mean, you only get so many opportunities to play professionally. Maybe that starts to sink in. And, you know, I've got to think, too, Rod Brindamore probably commands a certain amount of accountability. I mean, that guy yeah. is intense, Dave. And I'm not saying the other coaches he had weren't. But, you know, maybe it was just kind of a perfect storm. And this coach at this time is getting the most out of Tony D'Angelo. I don't know. So you never know exactly what you're going to get when you draft a guy at 18, but you know how much we like talking to Al Murray, who's come on our program a number of times. But I remember Murray talking about the 2014 draft. I think this was years later, too. It was after D'Angelo was no longer in the organization. But Ekblad went first overall in 2014 to the Panthers. The Lightning had a mid-first-round pick because they made the playoffs that year but lost in the first round. So whatever D'Angelo was, he was probably like late teens or something like that, maybe early 20s. And what Al Murray said was, Ekblad was the best overall defenseman in that draft class, but D'Angelo was the best offensive defenseman in that draft class. And you just don't lose that, right? 
Like, he never yeah, lost right. the right. ability to be a good offensive defenseman. It was all the other stuff that had to kind of fall into place for him. And for his sake, I'm glad, seemingly, that, that those things have fallen into place. He's also playing with a really good partner, Jacob Slavin. Like, I hold Slavin in the same, like, upper echelon of defensive defensemen, all-around solid defensemen, as I do with Pellick. Yes. who I've talked about a lot with the Islanders. Slavin rarely makes mistakes, but you know what? He did make a mistake last night on the point power play goal. That was a face-out win by Carolina. Slavin has the puck, and I think what happened was point got in on him really quickly. That was actually one of the face-offs Sorelli lost. He went 11-2. and <laughs> One of the face-offs he lost was that one. Lightning were on the power play. So if you're Carolina, you're like, we win the draw. That puck needs to get down the ice. And I don't know if it was that Point got in on Slavin and maybe, I mean, he didn't get a stick on the puck, but maybe he he affected the clearing attempt. But it was not really a strong clearing attempt by Slavin. He just basically, like, served it up around the boards. And Kucherov didn't really have to work hard to hold it in. It was almost like a pass to Kucherov. And, like, literally seconds later, Kucherov wires that cross-ice pass to Stamp goes for the shot and point scores the goal. So look, even some of the best players in the game today in terms of the decisions that they make with the puck and how they execute them, and I'll put Slavin in that category, even these guys sometimes make mistakes. And that was a big one. If you're Carolina, you win the draw, penalty kill, number one penalty kill in the league, most times that puck's down the ice. But that time it didn't get down the ice, and the Lightning tied the game. If you want to react to anything we had to say, you can at Bolts Radio. He is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. We'll take a quick break. Come back. Wrap the show up. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. It is Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Greg Linelli with you. Glad you're with us. Wrapping things up here on the show. If you want to recap and comments on what you saw last night as the Lightning win in overtime over Carolina. 4-3 to three in overtime. You certainly can do that. The Lightning now gets set to take on Chicago and Montreal coming up Friday and Saturday. And Partner, that is an interesting switch. You know, we've talked about uh, kind of a tough stretch of games where the Lightning were in different cities, but then different opponents. You had, you know, you went from Boston, and then you had Detroit, and the Islanders, two non-playoff teams, and then you had an intense one last night against Carolina. And then you have two more teams coming up who, you know, quite frankly, they haven't been in the conversation of a playoff spot for a while now. Yeah. Montreal usually plays with jam against the Lightning. I shouldn't say usually. This year, the Canadians, even when they were going through their malaise, where they haven't or hadn't, I should say, before Marty took over as head coach, brought what you would call a high compete. They did bring a high compete against the Lightning because they remember what happened in the Stanley Cup final last year. And now with Marty behind the bench, I'm sure that their players are going to be extremely jacked up. I mean, they can look up to the rafters and see their head coach's name up there. They're going to want to play well for him in his first game as a head coach at Amelie Arena as a member of the opposition, for sure. And, you know, Chicago, the Lightning have had a lot of success against Chicago going back to last year when they were in the same division. 
But this is a team, if you fall asleep, they can make you pay in terms of what they can do offensively. And there have been some games the Lightning have won, but we come out of those games saying, goodness, did the Hawks have all these scoring chances, and what a performance by the Lightning goalie. So curious to see if Elliott gets that game because the last couple, he has had the first game in the back-to-back or if, or if Vasilevsky gets the first game. Well, I'll say this about Chicago. There's, I'm sure you follow some Chicago beat writers or announcers on Twitter, as do I. Just following along since they traded Flurry, their goaltending has been a disaster. I mean, they're yeah. just giving up. Goal. And it might just not be him, per se. Lankin and Adelia. Yeah, I mean, it, it just hasn't been pretty. Now, Radish, as we talked about the other day, has been getting some time, and mm-hmm. he's putting up some points. It'll be good to see those two guys and see how they're yep. you know, fitting in. And Hagel will be yeah. pretty excited, I think, to, to face his former team. I would think. You know, I would think that would be something to get him going he uh he was interesting when you guys talked to him during the first intermission report it was almost you know like are, are you starting to feel comfortable with your new team and it, it made it seem like he was still kind of you know feeling his way through didn't want to mm-hmm. maybe overstep any boundaries was kind of staying in the background he even said bit. i'm a shy guy yeah i thought that was interesting i i, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what to make of it outside of i thought it was an interesting comment to make <laughs> You know what I mean? Well, he's probably the sort of guy, and I'm saying this not really having known him at all, but that interview, I came out of that interview thinking that he strikes me as the sort of player who's very honest about his performance. Yeah. And understands exactly where he is. And he knows that it's going to take him a little bit of time to feel that what he's doing is automatic. That's what I took out of it. Yeah, so, in, in addition to just playing with different line mates. Yeah, although he's now he's been on that line with Paul yeah. and Colton for you know through the through the winning streak actually. Sure. But it's a, it's a lot games. different playing with those guys than who he was playing with in Chicago. I mean, mm-hmm. he basically was on their first line, correct? Chicago. Well, line. I mean, I mean he he, he had moved he had been moved up and down. I mean, this year he had the whatever it was twenty one goals before the trade. Now twenty two, but you know, last year the Lightning were impressed with him too, and he was definitely in a bottom six role last year. I mean, the Lightning saw the Hawks That's eight right. times, so I remember I remember seeing him, but seeing him in a third fourth line situation. So that's where he kind of got got settled with the Hawks. And this year, they may have bumped him around a bit. I mean, he did score on the power play for Chicago. Yeah. So it's not like he never saw power play time. When we saw the Hawks right before the trade, I remember he was on a line with Kirby Doc because Doc had that chance in the first period. That was like an incredible save by Vasilevsky. You remember that one? I do. And right before that, Hagel had had a chance in the slot that Vasilevsky stopped that was also good, but not at the level of the save he made on Kirby Doc. Doc was their third-line center in that game. So in that game, Hagel was playing on what we would call the third line. This question comes from Kevin. He says, is there any chance that Ronta would unseat Anderson heading into the playoffs? He looked good last night. Well, he did, but I think Carolina's happy with its goaltending. I think they are, too. I think Anderson is the guy, and 
again, we kind of go back to this. I think if Anderson struggles, mm-hmm. you probably feel pretty good about Ronta yes. coming in. Well, there's an award called the William Jennings Award, which goes to the team with the lowest goals against. And that's really a, a, I mean, it is a team award, but really it's an award for the goalies that play for that team. Like they really share that award because even if you have a Vasilevsky situation where, you know, one guy is playing the vast majority of the games to win that award, usually the backup needs to be providing good minutes as well. And, and Carolina is on track to, to win that award this year. You know, Louis Domingue gets a lot of credit for what he was able to do a couple years back, Dave, and that winning streak that he had. And he was really, really good. And that was a, a tremendous regular season for Tampa Bay. But I, I think Domingue, I remember saying it at the time, he was going to be the one Lightning player from that year that was going to benefit the most because he was going to get an opportunity to start again in the league. He put himself in a position mm-hmm. where there was going to be a team that was going to take a shot at Louis Domingue probably one last time as a starter in this league. Now, it didn't last very long for Louis, and I think he's kind of toiled a little bit now in the minors. He's with Pittsburgh, and he had some bad luck with injuries there after having uh, one appearance this year where he picked up a win. But when you talk about backup performances for the Lightning over the last few years, and they've had some good ones. Like Curtis McElhinney, I always thought was a pretty solid backup. I thought he did exactly what the Lightning wanted, and he was very solid. I thought Deming was good as well. Brian Elliott is, is is playing at a level, I think, that is reminiscent of somebody who could probably still start in this league. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying for every team. But for some teams out there that don't have winning records, I mean, we've seen some goaltending tandems this year that make you scratch your head. Look at Chicago now without Flurry. Or some of these other teams as well. I mean, Brian Elliott, I, I think, has given Tampa Bay exactly what what they wanted, what they envisioned, and maybe yep. even a little bit more. Yeah, and I mean, he has been in a situation earlier in his career where he came in as not the starter but ended up getting more minutes than what was anticipated because of his play. And in some instances, he actually became the starter. I think the last couple of years in Philly, it was a little bit like that in that Here's our here's our veteran backup slash mentor to Carter Hart, and now you're in the heat of battle, and it turns out that Elliott is playing probably more than they would have anticipated. But this year, that has not happened. This year, he is the backup, and he's basically getting one game in a back-to-back and then the occasional other start somewhere. But mostly, it's in a back-to-back situation. And he has handled that really well. I mean, he's gone long stretches in between starts and come in and given the Lightning really high-quality goaltending. That's not easy even for a guy that's used to being in that role, and I'm not sure Elliott has has ever been in that role to the extent that he has been in it this year. I think it's a little easier. I think it's a little easier to accept that role when you're playing behind the best goaltender in the world. Sure. For well, you knew what he was getting into games. when he signed yeah, I here. Think I think it's a little easier um, to accept, but he's done He's done a great job, and the Lightning are in a nice position here with their, their goaltending tandem. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us today here on the show. Thanks, everybody, for participating. We always appreciate it. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. We will do it again tomorrow, noon to 1. Partner, great job. We'll do it again. Yep. Talk to you tomorrow. 
Thanks to Steve Verstick as well. Thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. I am Greg Linnelli. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.